Why don't we uh, take a moment to pray, and then uh, we'll have Dr. Ellen uh, share with us. So, Lord, uh, we thank you um, for uh, just having the time to gather with one another to learn more about you. And, uh, and we thank you for Dr. Ellen and his uh, wisdom, his love for your word, and the way uh, you continue to use him to help others uh, see the gospel more clearly and live in light of what Christ has accomplished in, in daily life. And so we would ask that uh, even now in this time, as he shares with us, uh, that you would work, that you would transform us, that we would become the people that you've called us to be because of what you've accomplished. Uh, we thank you that we love because you first loved us. And so we give you praise for this, and we anticipate uh, what you'll accomplish now in this time. We praise you for this in the name of our risen King, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Chris, thank you, sir. It is always a privilege to be with you and your family, and I'm always encouraged to come here. I have to admit, Pastor Chris, there was a guy that's trying to infringe on your time. He said, are you coming next year? Could I get you to come on? I said, well, I don't want to speak ahead, but there's somebody that I've connected with, you know. I'm glad to be here with you guys. I want to talk about something that um, I think we all have experienced, and I think we all have practiced. And I'm hoping that we all could, as my grandmother would say, tell the truth, shame the devil, baby. Which is, let's own up to it, let's deal with it, let's understand how it operates and why it is so dishonoring to our king. And how we can learn to love God and love others and work this through in a very practical way. And so, we probably, given the time frame, I think we have until 2 o'clock. Is that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 3 o'clock? You got it. till 3, right? So, we end at what time? Someone tell me, because you know I'm a preacher and I can go too long. 10, 15. Okay. All right. So, I'm going to try to work through a lot of these details, but... I don't want to lecture through it per se. I do want to walk through some things biblically, but I also want to give you some time to interact, think about this, and process it, because I think we need to understand that where there is manipulation, we cannot blame the individual who's manipulating. Manipulation only works because you like what's being sold. When you no longer like what's being sold, you're no longer manipulated. Manipulation works because of things that are happening in your heart that you believe you must have or you can't do without. And you've put that person in the wrong place in your life to believe that they hold the key to those things. And whenever anyone in your life has that much control, it's not because they're powerful, it's because of the passions of your heart. And one of the things I've learned over the years as I've been walking as a pastor and uh, dealing with people in counseling is that we all talk about this person manipulated me or these things of that nature. And I say to them, well, let's explore how you were manipulated biblically. Let's look at what the scripture unfolds about this. But more than that, let's get honest about your heart. You only do that which is precious to your soul. We generally have two motivating factors when you think about it. We are motivated either out of selfish ambition or we're motivated out of love. And if I were to sit down with any one of you for any length of time to talk about what's going on in your world, 
you would put everything in your life in probably six P's. And let me tell you what those six P's are. You're going to talk to me about people. You're going to talk to me about your past. You're going to talk to me about your parents. You're going to talk to me about the problems you're facing. You're going to tell me about the pain you're feeling, whether physical or emotional. Or you're going to tell me about the pressures in your life. Is that true or false? And then you're going to try to blame those things for your decisions. And then you're going to try to blame those things for why you feel or do what you do. And my job as a shepherd is to unfold to you the scripture that says, these are the context that God has been using to expose you, not the true issues of your life. And then you're going to get mad at me and say, but I don't understand. And then you're going to revert back to the people, the past, the parents. And I don't know how you feel about this predicament. And I don't know the pain. And then you're going to walk away or you may listen to me. Does that sound about right most of the time? You guys with me? And so over the years, I've told people, if we understood that this context is a context, not the cause, then we'd understand even in manipulation, you can't blame the people. You can't blame the past. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame the predicaments of life, the pressures, or any of the problems. That's the context that God has been using to expose things in your heart to help you grow and change. Now, I've shared this before with you guys, but I'm sure it's been about two years. You might have forgotten, which is good, so I can repeat it. Um, Anybody in here drink tea? Any tea drinkers? When you put that tea bag in the water, it doesn't matter what flavor is in the tea bag. What does the water always do? It brings out what's in the tea bag, right? People, past, parents, problems, pressures, you name it. That's the water. You are the tea bag. They're not making you who you are. They are just exposing what's already in you. Manipulation is an opportunity for us to understand where our hearts are and why it's happening to us. So with that in mind, let's do a working definition. And you have your notes in front of you. And then, you know, if you have questions, I'm going to stop and pause in between. I want us to get through all this, but we won't. I want us to, but we won't, because I want us to dialogue. So that's why you have all the details there. So if we don't finish, you can walk back, walk through at any time. Does that make sense, guys? All right, so here's the definition of manipulation. To seek to control, to seek to coerce, or to constrain someone through evil means or evil intentions in order that the person may move or not move in a particular course of action one desires. In other words... I'm being evil to get you to do what I want and not do what I don't want you to do. Manipulation is my avenue to say, my way is the way, and how do I coerce you to do what I want or not to do what I don't want? Because the world revolves around whom? Me. So with that in mind, I want to show you some biblical examples of manipulation, and you're familiar with this one. Luke chapter 10, verse 40 is an example. Seeking to arouse guilt by implying that a question, or through a question, the person does not care in order to steer people to do what one desires. You remember Martha? And I want you to think about the context of this for a moment. God has come to your house. Now let that sink in. God has come to your house to sit at your feet or to sit with you on your couch at your dinner table. 
Kind of let that sink in for a moment. God, the creator of all, I am, comes to your house. He's with your sister sitting and having a conversation. You're in another room distracted by preparations. You don't like the fact that God is in there talking to your sister. So you, by the way, you come in the room and interrupt God while he's talking. Let that sink in. Just let that sink in for a moment. You interrupt God while he's talking to challenge his care and concern for you because he's not focusing on the thing that you're focusing on in that moment. And then try to manipulate him by saying, do you not care about me? So you have defined care by that moment of giving you your way and doing what you want, which is force my sister to come help me prepare the things I had for you. Does anybody see a problem with that at all? I mean, we don't really look at that story for what it really is. That is the epitome of trying to manipulate. And what did God say to her? Martha, 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 you are distracted by so many things. But have I just told your story? Her definition of care was, if you care for me, you do things my way, you do things at my time, and you make sure everybody else assists me the way I want to be assisted. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Is that not the ultimate form of trying to manipulate? Now, what if God were not God, or what if that were you, and you cared so much about what Martha thought of you more than you cared about Martha? You would comply with Martha. Why? Because you don't want to fight. You don't want the trouble. You don't want to be seen a certain way. That has nothing to do with Martha. That has everything to do with whom? You. But then you get mad about it later. Huh. Whose fault was it? The only reason you complied was not because of Martha's accusation, but because of what was happening where? In your heart. I'm just trying to show you an example as we look at this thing called manipulation and we think about it practically. It's a dangerous place to be. But our loving Savior just challenged her in a very loving way. But that's an example, a biblically one example, of trying to use manipulation. Let me give you another example. By the way, does that make sense to you, what I've just said? Make you rethink the story, doesn't it, when you look at it from that standpoint? Another example of manipulation, James chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 3, talks about seeking to fight and have quarrels with people or pray with the wrong motives in order to uh, steer people in God to do what one desires. How many times have you seen people try to use dominance or a argument to manipulate the situation? And they know you don't want to fight. And they know just when to push the right button. Why? That's a form of manipulation. Trying to coerce, being evil, using something out of order to try to get your way. Let me give you another example. Boy, you guys are holy quiet. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> you know how you can tell as a preacher that holy quietness, like people are listening and they're thinking about stuff in their eyes. It's like it's all in your eyes, like deer to headlights. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm loving this. <laughs> Pastor Chris, this was the best thing, brother. I love, I'm loving it. 
Luke chapter 6, um, this is where Jesus was openly accused, and, and we knew the others. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 2, and I want you to see this. Another biblical example of manipulation. I see people do this all the time. I have it in the church with me all the time, and I just laugh. As I'm older, as I was younger, I would get offended. As I'm older, I'd laugh and just pat him on the back and say, yeah, it'll be okay. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, seeking again. Let me give an example of the manipulation and we'll look at the passage. Seeking to openly accuse a person of wrongdoing in order to steer the person to agree with the accusation to bring the person down from their level of authority in order to gain what one desires. Didn't we see the Pharisees and Sadducees do this a lot with Jesus? Here's an example of this. Look at Luke chapter 6. For context, let's start at verse 1. It says, Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? That's a straight-up accusation publicly. Is that not right? Have you ever been in a situation with someone publicly, maybe at a business meeting or something, publicly straight up just made an accusation. And it may have may not have been wrong, or they may have thought they were right, whatever it is, but it was a way to try to bring the crowd to that person's agenda and to manipulate the situation. And Jesus answering them said, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry and he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. I just wish I could have been there. If I'd have did a, a, a contemporary version of that, I'd have had him drop the mic after he said that. And just, you know, what? You know, I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful when you think about how Jesus handled that. He didn't get rattled. He addressed the accusation with truth and then let it sit back on them. He didn't get defensive. He didn't try to prove himself. He just presented reality. But what I want you to notice, is that not a form of accusation? Is that not a form of manipulation? I can't tell you how many times in business meetings and places I've been where I've had that happen and I've had to sit back and go, wow. And you did it publicly. So now we have to deal with it publicly. I'll never forget a gentleman I was teaching a Sunday. Oh, that was a worship service, Pastor Chris. It was interesting. Never forget this guy had just left his church. And he wanted to retry. And I was trying to minister to him and his wife. And I said, okay, man, why don't you come to our church for a while? And here's what we can do. I want to help you get back on your feet. And if the Lord wills, you start to grow here then we'll plant you and you can take some of the people here with you and this will be a beautiful way to show the people how we can work together as church pastors. He was like, man, this sounds wonderful. So as I was teaching, he decided to get up in the middle of the teaching and say, well, pastor, we have concerns. Now, he just got there a couple of weeks ago. We have concerns that, you know, we, we hear your teaching, but we feel like you should give more application. And I said, listen, the next time we have concerns, we need to work it out in private and not try to manipulate the crowd to your agenda. So the next time you feel that bold, you need to do it privately and never publicly, or this will happen again. Now, you may sit down as I continue the process. 
never had a problem again. Where he worked it out publicly, I had to lovingly rebuke because it was out of order. Does that make sense? But it was a desperate cry to try to manipulate according to an agenda. Have you ever done that before? You ever found yourself doing these things? Because your way is the way. What you want is more important than everybody else. So you've decided this is what I need to do to make this happen. Does that sound familiar to you? It's rhetorical. It's rhetorical. No, I don't want true confessions. I want you to talk to the Lord and your pastor. I don't want to know about it, right? But I do want you to think about it because in our hearts, guys, if we're not careful, we can be so manipulative and don't even realize just how ugly that is before the presence of God. And we have to think about this because biblically, as I'm working with people in counseling, as I'm working with not just married couples, but people in the church, and I teach at a Bible college, have to work with professors, have to work with students, you name it, this manipulation thing, it goes way deeper than you know. And so many people, it is just a habit. They don't even think about it. It's just the way they operate sometimes. I want you to think about it. I I want you to really look at these things, and as we're giving you these examples, and just think, how have you found yourself either in a situation where, again, people have sought to manipulate you, or how you have been a manipulator? And how does it feel to think that this is dishonoring to God? I think about that a lot, and have to be careful, because... My word in certain areas carries weight, and I could use that in a very evil way if I don't want to love God and love others. And for many of you, your words carry weight. What people think of you and what you think of people in many situations carries a lot of weight. Are you using that to God's glory, or are you using that to your personal agenda? Those are some very important things. Another passage, we won't look at it, but it's kind of been the same. Seeking to use flattery and seeking to pigeonhole a person into a corner with a question that limits his answers to yes or no in order to gain what others desire. And we saw this again. We know that you are the teacher and blah, blah, blah. The setup question. I always get nervous when people go, you know what, Dr. Ellen, we really appreciate your scholarship. Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. And we, we know that God has been using you. I'm like, here we go. Here's the kill shot. Come on. Five, four, three, two. Bam! And it's like, there it goes. Have you done that to people? Have people done that to you? These are just biblical examples of manipulation. Now, we're not going to go any further. We're going to take a few moments. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Think about this definition. Think about these examples. And just a simple question. What do you think about what you've just heard? How does this resonate with you? Okay? Take about two minutes. And we'll come back. We'll build on this a little bit more. What do you think about what you've just heard? How does this resonate with you? All right, guys, I'm going to stop you there for just a moment, and we'll come back 
We will come back, I promise you. But are you starting to get a picture here? So what I want us to do now is to get to the biblical heart issue behind manipulation. Manipulation is not the end, it's a means. So people choose to manipulate because of something else happening in the heart. It's just like people who seek to try to control what they shouldn't control. Control is never the problem. It is a problem, but it's an avenue to a deeper problem. But we'll talk about that another time. Now we're talking about manipulation. Manipulation is never the end, it's the means. So what could lead a person to the core of believing that they need to manipulate? And I want to talk about that. Because what you'll discover is behind every manipulation, there is a desire that's become a demand. And when what I want becomes more important than loving God and loving others, and I believe this is what I have to do to get my way, then I'm going to play the manipulation game all the way to the end because what I want has become way more important than what God has commanded. So let's explore that together. So as you look at your notes, when you, when what you want becomes more important than loving God and loving others, you will create a love of something that becomes sinful, which makes it inordinate, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. You show me a manipulator, I show you a worshiper of their own desires. You show me a manipulator, I'll show you someone who is consumed with having their way more than loving God and loving others. That's not complicated, is it? But when you learn that, you start to go, aha, this is why I manipulate, or this is why I'm so easily manipulated. It always comes down to something you want. No one has the power to determine your actions. That's all you. They have the ability to influence your actions. That's all them. But influence only works when you like what they're selling. Satan is only powerful, not because he has power. You can resist that power. Because the greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. So the reason we don't resist the power is that we like something he's selling and we're willing to compromise. Does that make sense? You figure that out about yourself, then you understand why certain things can be so easily changed in your life. So let's explore that. So with that in mind, you can create a sinful love of security. Willing to sin to get it and willing to sin when you don't get it, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. How much security is enough security for you? You ask a person who's worshiping security, what are they going to tell you? Never enough. And so whatever it takes to be even more secure, to be more secure, to be more secure. Where there's a worship of security, there could be an avenue of manipulation. Another example could be you can create a sinful love of approval, willing to sin to get it, and sin when you don't get it, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. How much approval is enough approval for a person who is worshiping approval? Not enough. And what do they do? They'll manipulate every way possible to be seen as that person. Why? It's not the manipulation that's the real issue. The manipulation is the avenue to the root issue. My worship of something way more important than loving God and loving others. Here's another example. You can create a sinful love of power, willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. How much power is enough power for you? Well, someone who's worshiping it, not enough. 
And what do they do? Whatever it takes to maintain or to get more. Another example. You can create a sinful love of having one's own way, not being denied what one wants, willing to sin to get it, and sin when you don't get it, which leads you to manipulate to have it. How many of you have a hard time accepting the word no? Now, the question is, do you adjust to the no, or do you try to manipulate around the no? Therein lies the core of how much manipulation you're willing to do to get the person to say yes. I've had people, and they've heard me. I'll never forget this one particular guy. Are we recording this? We are. This situation... Let's say with some people. We kept telling this person, my wife and I, great idea, but not something we can do right now. And they kept saying, but you don't understand. Oh, no, we understand. But the answer is still no. But then here is the one. I don't think you have enough faith. See, when I was younger, that would pull at me because I never wanted anybody to think less of me. And so this worship of approval. As I got old, I recognized people like you when they like you, they hate you when they hate you. It doesn't matter. And I looked at him and said, well, whatever helps you sleep at night, the answer is still no. Have a good night. When I was younger, I'll show you. And what really happened They got what they wanted, playing on something in my heart because of my own selfishness, not because they're that smart. Do you realize that when you're manipulated, it's not because you're not smart. When you're manipulated, it's not that you don't know what the Bible says. You're just that selfish. You ever thought about that? The only reason anybody can manipulate you with all the Bible you know is because you're selfish. It has nothing to do with the scripture. If you adhere to the scripture, you wouldn't be manipulated. But in that moment, you knew what the Bible says. You knew what you wanted, what you wanted and what the Bible says. You went out and they get you out. And now you're in trouble. Is that fair? Would you agree with that? And I challenge people all the time. With all the Bible you know, this wasn't an issue of discernment. This was an issue of your own selfishness overriding your discernment. Your spidey senses kicked in a long time ago. And those spidey senses, you knew that wasn't the right thing to do. But what you wanted became more important than God's will. And that's when you got hooked in. That's how manipulation works. Would you agree or disagree? But you see how deadly and dangerous and subtle it is. Now, with that in mind, let me walk you through a little bit more. You can create a sinful love of comfort, pleasure, willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. You can create a sinful love of being held in high regard, willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. You can create a sinful love of being understood, willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it, which can lead you to seek to manipulate to have it. You can create a sinful love of being taken care of, willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it, which leads you to seek to manipulate 
to have it. So what are we saying? Manipulation is generated by a heart filled with bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, earthly, natural, demonic. Therefore, when you are operating out of bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, earthly, natural, demonic, you may seek to manipulate. And I'm going to get to those examples in a moment. But I've just wanted to set the foundation. Because when I'm dealing with people who want to actually deal with their manipulation, I have to show them manipulation is the fruit. Their selfish ambition is the root. Does that make sense? If you just try to deal with the fruit of something and not the root, it only becomes relapse and repetition over and over and over again. And the biblical reality is manipulation has its setup in my own agenda being more important than God's agenda for my life, which is to love him and love others. And the more I want what I want, when I want, how I want it, I will seek to manipulate or be manipulated. That's not complicated, guys, is it? But generally, when we stick with God's truth, life is not complicated. It only complicated when we stir away from his truth. Now, the question you have to ask before we go any further, when you looked at those categories, I don't want you to tell me out loud, but I do want you to put a little checklist somewhere. Which ones resonated with you out of those categories? Because whichever ones resonated with you, that's the reason why you have many of the problems you're having in life right now. Because there are many things you've been willing to do to get those things and to keep those things, and you've compromised for those things. You have been manipulated because of those things, and you have manipulated for those things. So it's important you get honest with God and yourself as you circle those things because that is how someone can easily get you off track. Why is that important to know? Because Satan knows this about you. And I'm not one of those ooey-gooey, charismatic, name it and claim it, grab it and bag it type people. You know, I'm just saying Satan understands how to appeal to the world's culture to get to your flesh. That's how the he works. But if you don't understand these things about you, you don't understand your price. Everybody in this room has a price. When you own up to your price, you can protect yourself from that price so that you can build more into wanting what God wants more than you want that thing. But if you deny it, make excuses, oh, and blame the people in your life, blame your parents, blame the past, blame the problems, blame the pain or the pressures is the reason why, then you're making excuses and you never make confessions that can lead you to true transformation. Does that make sense? And as a shepherd, as I love on people through these processes, I help them to see, listen, I used to do what you're doing right now because I'll have people in counseling try to manipulate me. And I was like, you know what? Maybe two years ago that would have worked. But I love you. And I'm not as full of myself this year as I was last year. Still full of myself. I'm working on it. But in that particular area, I'm not as full of myself, so that can't work. So you can stop that, and let's get down to really helping you. Does that make sense? And that shocks people when you actually speak to where their heart is, because too often we don't do that enough with each other. And this is the context, the body of Christ, where we should be speaking to one another Dealing with it not at the surface level, but truly at the heart level. So that we can love each other to real genuine change.
Now, I'm going to take a commercial break right here. This is a good time to do so. Go back over that list. And, you know, you can talk about a friend. You know. <laughs> and as you think about your friend, you notice that your friend really needs to deal with blank. And this is good for her or for him. And so talk about that friend that's not here, that should be hearing this right now, and how that could be helpful to them. Take about two minutes. We'll come back. <laughs> All right, guys, back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Are you getting a good look at your friend? You see what your friend really needs to, to deal with right now? And you can't wait to go talk to that friend about that issue, right? That's good. That's good. I'm sure they really need that information, right? But I hope you're seeing this because the more you think about this with your own heart, the easier it is to understand why you can go from zero to 50 in your attitudes like that. The source of quarrels and conflicts are right there before you. The reason why you will compromise what you've just talked about in praise and worship is right there. The reason why you're willing to sin against your spouse, it's right there. The reason why you're willing to compromise as a single person, it's right there. The reason why things are attractive to you even though you know it's the wrong thing to do. It's right there. And the more you think about that and you take ownership, this is where you can begin to move more into deeper progressive sanctification. Because I tell people, we're not perfect, we're being perfected. We're not sinless, but the more we walk with God, we should be what? Sinning less. God is working on our perfection. We're called to work on being faithful, and he's perfecting us through our faithfulness. So instead of making excuses, we need to make confessions and get up and grow up. Is that a safe thing to say? But too often we make many excuses instead of confessions and not get up and grow up. And we keep blaming the people, the past, the parents, the pain, the predicaments of life and the pressures. And those are the excuses. That's the context that God is using to expose you. So that you can get up grow up, go on in Jesus' name by his power. But with that being said, we talked about that, but let's talk about the things we tend to do to manipulate people, the things we use. But let's look at it from this way. Manipulation is generated by a heart filled with bitterness, bitter jealousy, or selfish ambition, earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, as we see in James 3, 13 to 16. You guys are familiar with that passage? Therefore, when you are operating out of bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, you may seek to manipulate people how? Let me give you these. I won't go into the details, but let's look at some of these. Charging, to accuse someone of doing something wrong because it does not line up with your agenda. Clamoring, to create conflict, to argue over what you want the person to think, not think, to feel or not feel, to desire or not desire, to do or not do according to your agenda and personal preference. Let me just say this before we go further. One of the dangers in our lives is that we have preferences. It's a delight, but a danger. 
Because sometimes, as the Bible says in Romans 14, we can let that which is good for us be spoken of as evil because we can moralize our preferences. And when you moralize your preference, your way is the only way that anything is done right. And everybody else is wrong unless they do it your way. And that makes you very inflexible, but also makes you sinful. Because what you're telling the world is, unless it's done my way, it's wrong. And unless you listen to me the way I want you to listen to me, it's wrong. Unless it's the way that I see it right now, because my way and everybody, did you guys not get the memo? My way is the way. There's no other way to do anything. When that happens, guys, you have taken a preference and made it more powerful than God's precepts. And when we can't distinguish between the two, we become very dangerous in relationships because then we're not attacking people or calling out people because of sin. We're calling them out because they didn't line up with our personal preferences. That's very dangerous. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in, how many church meetings I've been in, how many conversations I've had where I've had to say to people, guys, you're arguing over a preference. This is not even a biblical precept. And you've elevated your way to the way as if this is the only way something can happen. That means you're inflexible and you're being very self-centered right now, guys. This is not what God wants for us. Either we're going to adjust and recognize that we need some flexibility in this room, or we're going to be in trouble because everybody's going to be strong and wrong, and we're going to take that old song, I shall not be moved, and it's going to mean something different. (laughs) Does that make sense? I can't tell you how many times that's happened. But clamoring becomes a manipulation tool. Why? Because... I want what I want. Here's another manipulation to crying. I can't tell you how many situations I've been in, men and women, because some people, they think it's just women, and that's a lie from the pit of hell, men and women. And you know what I do? I give them the tissue and say, all right, now let's continue. Oh, that wasn't going to stop me from challenging you, but I do want to help you with the tears. Now we can keep going and what we're talking about. Oh, you thought that crying was going to make me back off. (laughs) No. But I do want to give you the tissue to help you with the tears. And when you're finished, we can keep moving. Does that make sense? Dangerous. Some people use that. Challenging to use why questions in a way that is not seeking legitimate answers, but seeking to show disapproval. Cohorsing, seeking to enforce or invoke some form of obligation. Compiling, to bring up words, actions, decisions from past to compare and contrast. You know that person. You remember, Pastor Chris, the last time you said, really? That was 20 years ago. You're still holding on to that, which was 20? Okay. Right? Condemning, to verbally express disapproval of punishment. Uh, concealing, to withhold any favorable regard or emotion. Cooperating, to go along with the other person in order to get that person to do what you want. Charming, being pleasant, likable, or endearing. Criticizing, bringing up negative issues about the person, whether perceived or actual with a negative tone. Commanding, talking to a person as if they were your child. Canceling, to noticefully dismiss or disregard what a person is doing or saying. 
conducting, injecting, or conducting, yeah, injecting your input ideas, agenda, opinions, and directives into everything a person seeks to think, say, or do while seeking to make a person believe they're wrong if they choose to reject or input. I've had a lot of people in my life like that. You've had those people in your life? They always tell you what they think when you didn't ask them what they thought, and they always feel the need to direct you when you didn't need direction. See, the danger of that is that's manipulation at its finest too, you know. Or the one, do you think that we should really go this way? Well, that wasn't really a question, was it? That was more of a manipulation to bring doubt to go your way. I've had that in a business meeting. Pastor, are we sure that's what we want to do? Yes, we're sure. Are you sure? (laughs) And if you're not, speak now. But we are sure. You guys see how that can be very dangerous? Manipulation? Conducting. Conditioning. Seeking to reward or punish people according to how much they do what you want, when you want, when they want. Now, before I talk about how to deal with manipulation... I just feel like we should pause, don't you? I think we should talk about our friends again. (laughs) Let's go back to the motivation behind manipulation, and let's look at the actions of manipulation. And that friend that really needs the help on this, let's circle the things that we need to help them see. All right? Take about two minutes, and we'll come back, and then we'll build on how to deal with this. Oh, I hate to stop you guys there, but I'm looking at my time. This is normally a a three-week thing. I did this as a three-week sermon series with my church. So I'm condensing three weeks in about 45 minutes. So I'm so sorry, but I got to move us along. But I hope you guys are, you're getting the picture, right? So that friend, is that, you think that friend is going to be helped when you go talk to them about these things? Former friend. Okay. (laughs) It's like, hey, they did that to me. I saw that. (laughs) All right, let's get down. Let's take a few minutes before time is over. Now that we've been cut open and we're bleeding, right? Let's talk about some solutions. What can we do? How how can we practically, biblically deal with manipulation? I'm going to take a little bit of time as much as I can to kind of walk through some of those things. First of all, you have to acknowledge why you can be manipulated, okay? Too often, we are offended that we've been manipulated as if it's the other person's fault, okay? No one can manipulate you unless you give them permission. Please understand that. So, yes, they're being evil, but it only worked because you liked the evil they were presenting. So, when you understand that, you can say, ah, I was manipulated because of what reason? And let's think about it. Because we have desires we have made ungodly, we are easily manipulated by people. A person can manipulate us because we have made the individual the source of our satisfaction or the solution to our problems. Did you catch that? We have made them the source of our satisfaction, the solution to our problems, leading us to fear the person as we should fear God. The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So what does that mean? 
when somebody in your life you think is a source of your satisfaction or the solution to your problems, you don't want to upset them, do you? But why don't you want to upset them? Not because you care about them and love God. You don't want to upset them because of what you stand to lose or what you stand not to gain. And so then they have power over you, not because they're powerful, but because of how selfish you are in your soul. That's why you can be manipulated. Does that make sense, guys? I know that's not fun to hear, but you understand the importance of seeing that, right? So let's look at it from this standpoint. Uh, Overly dependent person, uh, overly dependent on the person to satisfy various desires and to meet particular needs in your life. The fear of losing or not getting these desires and needs from the person can lead you to be manipulated. They become the source of your satisfaction, the solution to your problem. So you don't ever want to do anything because you're so dependent on them. So you are easily manipulated by whatever they want, not because of their power, but because of your passions. Here's the second thing. Overly depending on a person's approval of you, the fear of losing or not getting the person's approval leads you to be manipulated. Overly dependent on the person's companionship, attention, or affection towards you, the fear of losing and not gaining that companionship, attention, or affection towards you leads you to be manipulated. Overly dependent on a person finding you significant, valuable, or important, the fear of losing or not getting that leads you to be manipulated. The control, the coercion, and the constraining through evil means works on you not because of the power of the manipulator, but because of the power of your desires or true needs you believe can be gained or taken away by the manipulator as you have put them in the place of God. Does everybody understand why that's important? So if I'm dealing with someone, whether they're being manipulated or of the manipulator, these are some of the core issues that we have to deal with. So, secondly, what do we need to do? Acknowledge the awful ways you address manipulation. So first, I have to acknowledge why was I manipulated. Secondly, how I have been awful in the way I've done or handled the manipulation. Again, we are told not to answer a fool according to his or her foolishness. That means we're not to actually or act foolishly in response to a person acting foolish with us. Therefore, you need to make sure when you are being manipulated, you do not do these things. Don't defend yourself. That's the worst thing. Why are you defending yourself? Do they really care about what you have to say? I mean, really think about it. People we tend to defend ourselves to the most are the people who care the least. But because we are in our flesh, we feel like we need to say something And they're really not listening because they're in the flesh. They're acting foolish. Secondly, don't justify your words or actions or decisions. Don't blame shift. Okay? Don't answer the why question at a time when that should not be addressed or make it the answer more about yourself and less about God's will in the matter. You know, some people ask you, why did you do that? But they don't really want to know why you did that. They're really just attacking. You know what I mean? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? You really don't want me to answer that question because anything I say is going to be a problem. Right? So that's manipulation. Don't respond. Here's the next thing. Uh, don't yell at the person. Don't dismiss the person. Don't treat the person the way the person's treating you. Don't retaliate in ways that are physical and verbally harmful. 
Don't do that. When you say it again? I mean, that's a good thing to do. They might. They might, or they might not. They could manipulate that back, though, depending on who they are. Yeah, so it's a good thing, but you have to, you know. Yeah. And recognize if they're trying to manipulate you, they may not really want to address it. But I like that. Ascertain the nature of the matter, which is where we're going. If we're being wise in the matter, we will think before we speak. We will listen to understand the nature of the issue before we respond. We will listen to discern the issue behind the manipulation. Therefore, when someone is trying to manipulate you, seek to discern the issue behind the manipulation through seeking to get answer to these questions before you begin to speak. Number one, is this a preference issue? You need to figure that out because sometimes people will argue down about a preference. Because their way always has to be the way. They always have to be right. It doesn't matter what the situation is, right? And if that's that person, you know what you have to learn to do? Stand down. Because it doesn't matter what you say. Their way has to be right. So you know what you do sometimes? Okay. But you need to ascertain, is this a preference issue? Because if it's a preference issue... It doesn't matter. And let me give an example of a preference issue gone wrong. You remember in the book of Acts, after the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had a discussion about going out again to go back and assess what was done. And the idea came up of taking John Mark on the trip again. I love to do this in my classroom. Who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? All my Paulers are like, yeah, he was a rookie. He shouldn't go back out there. And all my bundles with people in the room like, oh, come on, everybody deserves a second chance. You got a second chance. And then it creates this argument in the room. And I say, isn't it interesting, guys? You're doing now what they did then, but that was a preference. It was neither right nor wrong. But everybody stood their ground instead of being considerate of the other. And that's what happens. Does that make sense? Is this a matter of conscience? Is this a matter of morality? Is this a matter of wisdom? Is this person wanting something from you that they're not getting? Is this person um, losing something from you that they do not want to lose? Is this person receiving something from you they do not want? What is the expectation behind this thing that's going on? What is the disapproval of belief system addressed to you? These are things that you need to ask and answer. You need to discern, and as you're working with the person, you can understand what's going on behind the manipulation. Yes. Suffer well. (laughs) Suffer well. That becomes the cross you bear with that individual who is not accepting that you don't have what they want or you can't give it to them. And that becomes your ability to learn, as we'll talk about later, the art of self-control. Does that make sense? You're welcome. So here's the next thing. Approach the person being considerate, being compassionate and controlled. You got to come at them in a very loving way. Because they're trying to manipulate and you got to recognize the only reason it works on you is because of what you want from them or don't want from them. But when you want to love them more than you want what you want, you have to learn to deal with them where they are, not where you want them to be. 
So what does that look like? What you say matters, but how you say it is just as important. When dealing with a manipulator, make sure your tone reflects the grace of God. You catch that? Gentle answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15.1. Let's look at that verse for just a moment. Proverbs 15.1 and Proverbs 15.4. Um, and man, I got to quit because I'm getting close to my time. Pastor Chris, mercy, can I have three minutes, Pastor? All right. Thank you, sir. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verse 4, look at this. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Some of us don't recognize that people want to hear from us. And some of us, we're so much about our agendas that we don't think about the people that we're articulating our agendas to. And we don't recognize that the way we say things can be just as damaging as what we say. Does that make sense? And if you're all about the business and not about the person, you have walked over so many people trying to get it done. Not recognizing that God is trying to get you done through the relationship, not get that done. And too often when ministry is about the goal and not about the people, we miss the people that should have been the goal from the beginning. Does that make sense? How many projects have you accomplished, but they're dead bodies all along the way? But we did it for Jesus. Does anybody see something wrong with that? Our words, not just what we say, but how we say it are very important. So with that being said, speak in a gentle way to the person. Speak using self-control when talking to the person. Speak words that minister grace and not disgrace. Do not interrupt the person unless, they are in a, unless there's a proper reason to do so. Clarify your words and intentions when prudent to do so. Do not speak too much knowing sin is inevitable. And I'm going to stop there. There are many more, uh, but we'll stop there for now. But I hope you're getting an idea. This is about love. But it's not just about their manipulation. It's about your heart. And if you're more concerned about what's happened to you versus how you need to handle them, you'll be just as manipulative as the person you're trying to charge. And by the way, this is just for free. This is in closing. You didn't pay for this. This is free. <laughs> Why do you think you're so irritated when people manipulate you? Because it takes one to know one. They're exposing you. That's why it bothers you so much. And so before you can go really help them with their manipulation, guess what you have to work on? Amen. Thank you guys for spending this time with me this morning. I'm looking forward to spending time with you at service. God bless you.